Warning, ProTri News is a podcast with different opinions, knowledge and possibly fake news about triathlon racing. This is not for the faint of heart. If you get offended or hurt by what is said, please stop listening and go listen to some uplifting meditation music or just go work out, then try again. Hello, welcome back to another episode of ProTri News. We are kicking off the 2023 season, uh, joined by Ironman CEO Andrew Messick. Andrew, I see you got your Hawaiian shirt on today. I don't know if you're fresh from Hawaii, but... I, I'm not prepped from Hawaii, but but I put it on just for you guys. <laughs> love it. Love it. I'm joined also by the usual suspects, Talbot Cox and Pat Lemieux. How we doing? How we doing? We're back from break and ready. Thank you, Andrew, for, for joining us today. And like we said before you came on, you're, we consider you a co-host today. So we're excited to jam out with you for 55 minutes and, and see what and learn a little bit. Okay. Sounds good. Happy to happy to talk about anything. Awesome. Uh, our first question is, uh, are you training for any races right now? Uh, yes, I, I, I am. I've, uh, you know, I'm old, which is sort of problematic in the fitness and endurance department. Um, but this will be my first year in men's 60, 64. And, and so of course I've got like ambitious plans to do stuff while I'm the youngest guy in my age group. Um, but I've had a knee issue for the last seven months. I haven't really been able to run. But um, but because I mostly live on the West Coast, I kind of have Morro Bay in my sights as perhaps my uh, my first race of the 2023 calendar. Is it going to be a multi-sport event or a running event? What do you got? Yeah, I think the 70.3 Morro Bay will be one of the one of the things on my list. Um I'm signed up for the 25 kilometer canyons trail run at the end of April. Um, you know, I did the OCC at UTMB in 2021 and was going to do the CCC, which is the hundred kilometer version uh, before my knee went out. Um, and so I've got some, uh, some uh, unfinished business on the trail side and also on the triathlon side. I was supposed to do Ironman California back before we were rained out in, uh, in 2021. So, um, so a whole bunch of incomplete races um, and unfinished business. Nice. Well, uh, our next question was going to be, are your cats joining you? But it seems you're in your office, so no cats today. No, the cats are back at home right now, and I'm in Tampa. I'm in Tampa this week. Nice. Um, before we get into, like, current events and things like that, I want to kind of talk about your time before Ironman. Um, so Yale School of Business graduate. Um, yeah. What stage of life were you in whenever you went through that? Well, I think I I think I started in business school at Yale when I was I don't know twenty five, um, and so relatively young. Um, you know, I I graduated from college. I went to the University of California Davis, uh, and and moved to New York just after that, and worked in advertising for a couple of years. Went back to graduate school. And and from there, you know, had a, a relatively conventional business path. I worked for one of the big international management consultancies for for six years, um, then went to work for one of my clients and then moved into the sports industry in the year 2000, um, looking after the NBA's international businesses. Uh, and so I spent seven years at uh, at the NBA working with David Stern and Adam Silver. And um, and that was really my first sports experience. And and it really was a a long apprentice in how do you, apprenticeship in, in how do you think about 
uh, running a global sports brand, uh, which has proven to be pretty useful in in you know this incarnation uh, and what we've tried to do here at Ironman over the last decade. Right. What was your, what, how often do you still talk to your to your friends at Ironman? Do you ever ask them? You guys ever bounce ideas off in each other or anything like that? Yeah, I'm still close with a bunch of people at the NBA, and and uh, and and I follow what's going on sort of in the global sports world pretty carefully. Um, there's there's lots of differences and there's lots of similarities, but but I think the biggest the biggest difference is if you're thinking about basketball or football or in any of the major sports, it, certainly in the United States, uh, but but also in Europe. Uh, your, your life is constrained by these giant contracts. You know, you've got a collective bargaining agreement with the players. You've got these big media contracts that determine how you, um, you know, what kind of content you can put up and what are the rules and who can distribute content in, in different parts of the world and at different times and under which rules. Um, you've got all these rules, if you're a league, about how you treat the teams and you have to treat every team equally. You can't show advantage to one team or another. Every team has its own designated marketing area so that they do, you know, don't compete um, against each other in, in a bunch of areas. And in all of that is, you know, there's they're very big, very complicated uh, agreements, which is one of the reasons you see so many lawyers uh, working at the, the high end of, of the sports industry. Um, and, and and so part of what I think is great about Ironman is, and, and what we've tried to accomplish here is, you know, we are, we've kind of created a global sport by ourselves and we have many more degrees of freedom to do things. And, and we've got more flexibility to change things and to try things and to experiment. And that's been super rewarding. And, and, um, and, and frankly, in many ways, the best part of the job, um, because like uh, enacting change at some place like the NBA, it's a really complicated process. And yeah. and you need multiple, multiple, multiple constituencies to, to agree to do anything. You need the players, you need the owners, you need your broadcast partners. Um, and we can move a lot faster and, and try a, a lot of different things. And, and that's fun. And it plays to what I'm interested in on my good days, at least what I, what I think I'm good at. Yeah. That's awesome. So do you still follow the NBA now? Do you watch the LeBron's game last night? I, I, I do, you know, I grew up in Southern California and I've been a Laker fan my whole life. Uh, and, you know, and I like have vivid memories of, you know, when I was in high school, you know, in, in 1980, when magic Johnson, you know, scored 42 points in game six against Philadelphia to, to win the, the championship in his rookie year. And it's like, like those were great years to be a Lakers fans. The, yeah. that, that whole decade and, you know, the fights with, with Boston and all that stuff. Um, yeah. That's cool. That's really so, cool. So obviously your favorite basketball team is the Lakers. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a Laker guy. And, and I know it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of predictable, but, but like I've been a Laker fan for 43 years. So yeah, like I, yeah. I come by it honestly. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Andrew, I want to, I want to step back for a minute and flash back to just before you're about to take the job as CEO of Ironman in 2011, sure. the board has a crystal ball 
and they say, Andrew, we'd love for you to be CEO. However, on the horizon, we see a global event beginning in March of 2020 that will ultimately cancel all events. Two questions. One, do you still take the job? And part two, do you believe that Iron Man survives? I mean, of course you take. Of course you take the job. And you know, like in 2011, you know, I, I was a at that point I was a two-time Ironman finisher. I'd competed. You know, I'd qualified for 70.3 Worlds. I'd raced in 70.3 Worlds. I was the prototypical crazy, passionate age grouper, and you know, and you who's working in sports and the idea that you know I could make my living, you know, working for Ironman. I mean you know, it's the, it's the best job in the endurance. Well, you know, it, it was then it still is like the best job in, in the endurance world. And, you know, if you said it's going to happen 10 years down the road, you know, it's like, who knows what's going to happen 10 years down the road for any of us. If, like if anyone said, you know, Patrick, you know, something hinky is going to happen in, in, you know, 2033. What do you say? You're going to go yeah. like, no worries. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there, you, but but look, um, the pandemic was really hard on us, and and we were in survival mode for a long time. Um, you know, we're an event company that doesn't do events. We have seven hundred employees. You know, those are people who have mortgages and families and have to, you know, pay the mortgage and you know put food on the table. And you know, our revenue dropped by eighty five percent. And you know, and it's like. Like all of a sudden you're like, how do we keep the lights on? How do we pay the bills? How do we keep the company intact? Because we spent a decade building global capabilities and having people all around the world that had the ability to operate events. And 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 you guys know the, the event business, you know, Ironman may be a global company, but there's nothing more local than an event. You know, you need you, you need to know the sheriff. You need to know, you know, the guys at the hospital. You need to know the mayor and the CVB and the people who close the roads and who can secure the permits for the for the swims. And and that's a local business. And it relies on, you know, you need to have Kiwis in New Zealand. You need to have Austrians in Austria. And if you take Australians and you move them to New Zealand, it just doesn't work that well, even though we like to think they're kind of the same, yeah. you know, the same with, you know, the United States and Canada and Germany and Austria and, and, and all kinds of places, you know, the ability to operate is really, really local. And, and we didn't, I mean, we tried so hard not to lose the capabilities that we built because we had all these people who were really good at what they did and, and, and we had to find ways to stay alive. And, and that's what we did for a long time. We just tried to stay alive and, um, you know, we're pretty psyched that we stayed alive. Yeah. Well, you know, and that, and that, you know, we're not all the way back yet. Um, you know, it's been clear when you start looking at, you know, what happened in 2022, not just for us, but, but for USA triathlon and every triathlon federation around the world and virtually every running race in the world, you know, 2022 was not as good as 2019. And we looked at like the top 50 running events in North America. And I just reviewed the, the stuff the other day, you know, 49 of them had fewer finishers in 22 than, than in 2019. 
And so despite all this interest in the, in the pandemic of people being outdoors and people participating and being more physically active, um, in most parts of the endurance industry, we have not bounced back fully to, to where we were before the pandemic. And, and so that's, you know, again, one of the things we have to work through is it's going to take us a while to get back to where we, to where we were, uh, in 2019. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, changing gears here a little bit. Uh, I'm an athlete agent and I've got some young athletes that we, that I speak to on a weekly basis. And and one thing yeah. that you'll always hear me tell them is I say, success leaves clues. And I said, look for athletes that are giving mm-hmm. you and signaling a lot of clues. Uh, mm-hmm. who do you look to in sports for clues? You know, I, I've been profoundly influenced by, you know, my experience at, at the NBA and, you know, you know, the things that, that I learned, you know, around at, at the NBA, I think are, are, are as useful as anything. And, and, and those are, you know, attention to detail matters so much, you know, we're obviously we're in the event business and, and I've been telling the organization for, you know, a dozen years that like all the fancy branding in the world makes no difference if there's no ice at mile 23 on the run course. And, and, and that you need, you know, the, the ability to deliver uh, an extraordinary athlete experience is, is one of the things that we think our company does better than anyone in the world. And so much of that is just this cascade of getting little things right. Um, and it's super hard to do and it's time consuming, um, but attention to detail creating great experiences for our athletes. And, and then the last thing I would say is, and, and again, I, I, I talk to the organization about this all the time is, is we need to be able to capture the imagination of our athletes and, and we need to have the ability to, to create racing experiences that people hear about and say, you know, wow, like I, I want to do that. Maybe, maybe not right now, but, but someday, like I'm going to do an Ironman. Someday I'm going to do a 70.3. Someday I want to qualify for the world championships. Someday maybe I want to go pro. Someday I want to do a hundred mile race because it looks awesome. And, and so, you know, that, you know, those three things are obviously intertwined, but, but for us, it's, you know, that that's where I think we have an ability to be different. And in it's an area where where we try really hard to be different and, and we try really hard to be better. You've given me some uh, some scope and scale as to how, you know, this is a global brand. Um, mm-hmm. Give us some give us some scope and scale as to what your inbox looks like on a daily basis. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a mix of, you know, the mundane, you know, we have budget meetings. You know, and we like I report to a board of directors and like we have board meetings and, you know, board calls and a weekly update with my, you know, you know, the the folks that are our majority shareholders. And so there's a lot of that, you know, budget meetings and, you know, HR policies and, you know, what is, you know, the, you know, maternity and paternity policy for staff in North America and in Europe, like. There's a bunch of that kind of stuff, which, you know, we've got, you know, almost 700 employees. We've got, you know, I think 30 offices now around the world. Um, And there's just like, you know, normal company stuff. Um, 
there is communication around you know, what we're doing with athletes, with partners, with broadcasters, with with all of that. Um, and and that's super enjoyable um, because like when you're talking to those guys, it's how you really find out what's going on. And so, um, you know, I spend a lot of time communicating with athletes. You know, I answer my own mail and when people send me a note saying they either are like really happy about something that we did or they're not happy about it at all. Uh, and I get both, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I write back and I communicate and, you know, and, and, um, and I think that's just part of, again, the notion of attention to detail, athlete experience, capturing people's imagination is you need to be on top of the details. Um, but then there's a, a whole other chunk of my inbox and what I spend my time on, which is like figuring out what we're going to do. And, and that's the most fun stuff. And, you know, it's like where where and how are we going to expand Ironman? What does the Ironman brand really mean? And are we engaged with our athletes, you know, at the right level as it relates to their experience? And are there more things that we can do in road running or trail running or mountain biking, uh, you know, which are all businesses that we're you know, really deeply involved in and, and, are, and are passionate about. So, um, and, and again, that's, that's the stuff that, uh, that gets you revved up more than anything is, is like figuring out what, what do we want our future to look like? Yeah, perfect. That's right into my next question. Uh, who do you brainstorm with outside of your colleagues at work? Who, when you when you have an idea for an event or a, a destination, who do you call and say, "Am I thinking about this correctly?" I, I mean, I've got a, a big network of of people that I talk to and that I trust, and that that I, and when I say I trust, I trust them to be honest and. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll just use an example, you know, like five years ago, you know, Sarah Gross was like my my sworn enemy on, on 50 William women to Kona and, you know, was super unhappy, you know, with the decisions that we'd made. But but, you know, I sat down with her at, uh, you know, in Arizona at one of the USA TV things and we had lunch together and you know, we didn't persuade each other. You know, I, I still believe that what we were doing was the right thing to do. And she articulated forcefully around her opinion. And I think we left with a lot of respect. Um, you know, I didn't convince her. She didn't convince me. But but I never doubted that her heart was in the right place and that she was, you know, like articulating something that she believed in really deeply. And I reached out to Sarah. You know, and I ask her, like, what, what, what do you think of this? Is this going to work? And there's probably 25 or 30 other people around the world, you know, some of whom are people who say, like, Andrew, you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. And a bunch of them are people who say, you know, I, I think you guys are just like wrongheaded on this. And you ought to think about doing things like a really different way. Um, and it's it's important, at least to me, to, to get all of those opinions because ultimately, you know, it's, it's easy to be in a situation where everybody says nice things about you because you're the CEO, um, but you can really lose touch of what's really happening. Um, and so I go out of my way to, uh, 
you know, to talk to people who I think are smart and informed and passionate, um, and they may or may not agree with everything I, uh, I come up with or that we come up with. And, uh, you know, and, and, um, we, so I get told I'm wrongheaded a fair amount, which is okay. (laughs) Speaking of that and, and, uh, big decisions. Uh, I guess the Kona to Nice change didn't come to as much of a probably heartache to you or or the team as much because we did go to St. George prior. So it was kind of mm-hmm. not like a massive change. Y'all tested it. It's been successful. Uh, us on the show, I mean, we don't speak for everyone else. We are fans of it. I, I feel like it's it's good yeah. for this direction of the sport. But ultimately, I mean, you guys are a money-making business what what are your expectations for sponsors? Are you guys going to have championship sponsors? Or are you going to split it for you're the you're the men's Ironman World Championship sponsor? You're the women's, or how, how do you guys expect that to go through? Um, that, that's a that's a good question. Um, I don't think we fully know yet. Is is the short answer? And and it's not a secret that you know we weren't expecting 2023 to end up the way. 2023 is going to end up. And and we learned a lot last October. Um, and part of what we learned is that despite, you know, the best laid plans, um, you know, two days of Kona just wasn't going to happen in the future. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and I mean, you guys have heard me talk about this, I'm sure a zillion times, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's no one's fault. You know, there's no bad feelings, but there, there is a reality. And ultimately, you know, we're guests in that community and we have to, you know, we have to come to grips with the reality. Um, and it's also a reality, you know, that we had been out there qualifying athletes for two days of Kona in 2023. And, you know, we had you know, more than a thousand people who had already signed up. And, and so it left us with, you know, a really complex situation that, you know, didn't, that, that, you know, that, that we had to deal with as it was, uh, even though it was, you know, not anticipated and, and not what we'd hoped for at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's going to give us the opportunity to test something that's been on our minds for a really long time. And that is, you know, how much of the myth of Kona is Kona and how much of the myth of Kona is the Ironman world championship. And, and we, you know, we looked at one of the options we looked at is taking the world championships in their entirety out of Kona and having Kona be an age group race, you know, Ironman Hawaii. Um, and like that felt like a bigger and more consequential step. Um, but part of what we're going to learn in the coming years is how much does, how much, how much of what makes Kona magical, and it is magical. I mean, you guys have all been there. Uh, it's it's amazing. How much of that amazing, ineffable Kona thing is is due to the island and the community and the race course and the people and the history? And how much of it is the fact that it's a world championship for age groupers and professionals? Um, and we're being forced to test that now. And, and, uh, you know, I, I would love to say it was all part of a master plan. Um, but, you know, we were forced, but, mm-hmm. but we can now learn something 
and and hopefully those learnings and it'll probably take a few years for us to really understand it uh, but hopefully those learnings will put us in a position where we can you know continue to make good decisions for our athletes and our partners and and, and everybody um, and I'm frankly really curious to, to see how the next couple of years develop because you know Kona is going to be different this year and Nice is going to be different and and there's going to be a lot to learn and there's going to be surprises and and we'll see and and you guys have a massive economic impact when you go into cities i mean it yeah. might not be what the nba finals is or something like that yeah. but you guys have a massive impact how many other cities did you guys if you're allowed to share with us did you guys have in the running i mean i would assume something like st george just because they've been yeah. such a good sport too uh, Iron Man and, and the endurance industry. How many other cities did you guys have on the table? And what's the biggest economic impact that you guys have ever seen as a brand that a city's told you? So we did a economic impact study in Hawaii, and I think it was $75 million of economic impact um, for Kailua Kona. Wow. You know, which, which is, you know, it's a lot. It's a big number. Um, and um, the... The, the, we had, I think we probably had six people who were really interested uh, as we were thinking about a location for for the world championship. Um, you know, St. George obviously is one of them. You know, they're a, a great partner. Uh, I, I can't tell you the names of the other ones, but it, it's a lot of usual suspects. You know, you, you wouldn't be surprised by any of them. Um, and, you know, but but Nice, for so many reasons made sense. You know, we had, a, we had the 70.3 worlds there in 2019, you know, starting in 82, the Nice international was there. It's in many ways. And, and I would say, you know, I can, you know, go fight with Felix Valtzhofer about whether Nice is the second most important market, you know, in, in the history of triathlon or whether it's growth, um, you know, and, and reasonable people can disagree and you know, we can fight about that all day long. But Nice certainly is among, you know, the most prominent and preeminent places uh, in, in the history of our sport. And, and again, if you think about, you know, this notion of capturing the imagination of our athletes, uh, you know, going to the south of France to compete in a world championship, it's not exactly a hardship. Um, it's not a hardship post. Despite what some people might say, you know, if, if you follow some of the social media. Uh, speaking of world championships, I know that this is a, a heated debate uh, that you guys get pressed on, whether it's at press conferences mm -hmm. or a thing is, is athlete pay. Um, a question I had for you is with you guys splitting the venues and going to two completely different venues and it being a championship in both different places and you full registration and all that. Do, do you think that you guys see you, and sometime soon going to a million dollar payout where it's 500 for the men, 500 for the women, or will, this year, will you guys keep it 350, 350 or like the, the number that it is, I believe we're going to keep it where it is at least for this year. And, and part of that is, look, we've got double the revenue. We've also got double the costs. And, and so we've got to operate two world championships in two different venues on two different continents, you know, within, a relatively short period of time and, and in the future in 24 that period of time is going to be even more condensed um you know because 
you know, in our perfect world, the, the first Nice race is at the end of September, not early September. Um, but because of the Rugby World Cup, Nice couldn't accommodate us. And and so, you know, in 23, um, we're, we're earlier than we would otherwise be. But I, I think that it's, it's, um, it's something we need to look at within the overall context of everything that's going on with the pros. And, and I think, as you guys well know, there's an awful lot going on right now. And, and I think we want to be um, thoughtful and conservative about the decisions we make around, you know, altering the, the pro prize money for reasons, among other, that, you know, it, you, you can take it up, but you can't take it down. Um, and so I think I've, I've tried to say, let's let's be certain that we know what we're doing before we start uh, before we start making changes like that. Uh, uh, my last question for you on the, on the championship series, how much went into play when you guys looked at doing all this? Have you guys ever thought of just taking the world championship for the professional athletes out of Kona, letting that be the age group world championship and just go into like a four or five part series that you take the low, the lower budget races, like let's say Augusta and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then just put all of your TV and media package into five ties. I mean, I would, I'd hate to say this, but I mean, it sounds like this is, this would almost bury the PTO. If you guys did this, I mean, your coverage was phenomenal at, and I don't want to say bury the PTO, but I mean, it seems like that you would get the most eyeballs because everyone would want to go to the top level branded yeah. Ironman events. And then you could do a series where then you crown the world champion through the series. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're not trying to bury the PTO. I mean, mm -hmm. there, the, the PTO is, you know, I, I'm not sure I totally understand what they're trying to do. Um, but, you know, there's no doubt that in the last few years, especially during COVID that, the money they've put into the sport has been a real boon to an awful lot of professional triathletes. Um, and, and, and it, I think, you know, in the next, I don't know, year or so, it'll be more clear sort of where their longer term vision is, um, you know, and, and they're linking up with, you know, USA triathlon this year in, in Milwaukee, um, you know, it, it is certainly rumored that they're linking up with World Triathlon in Ibiza. Um, and it is certainly rumored, you know, that our friend El Khalil is going to figure out a way to make the Collins Cup happen in Morocco. Uh, and, you know, those are all things that are, you know, you know, th that, that's great. And, and, and we've always been um, we've always told the professional athletes like we know it's all, it's not an easy life being a pro triathlete. Uh, and if you have an opportunity to make money, take it. And if, you know, there's a big prize, you know, prize purse in Edmonton, Alberta, or in Dallas, Texas, get paid. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that that is kind of where our, our head is at with them. And, you know, I, I think we'll see more in the future, what they're really trying to accomplish. Um, and, and, and is it trying to create races that are super high value? You know, that's kind of what their investment material says is they're trying to create, you know, the Australian open and Wimbledon of triathlon. Um, even though we'd argue that we already own all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, but now it seems kind of like they're pivoting, uh, but we don't, it's not altogether clear where they're pivoting. Um, 
so we'll see. We'll see. Well, going back to you guys, would you ever go to do like a five-part race series where you guys crown a world champion at the end of it instead of doing a single-day event? Do you see that coming, or do you guys like crowning on the world championship day? I, I mean, I like, I like, you know, there's a race and the first person across the lines of the world championship. You know, I, I like that. And, and I think when you start thinking about series, it's, it's always more complicated. You know, that's the ITU does it, uh, or excuse me, world triathlon does it, you know, when they've got, you know, the series and there's a series champion, but then there's a grand final and there's a grand final champion and which one's the champion. And, you know, and, and like, I get that. And, you know, that's a way to do it, but I, I think, there's a simplicity that I think we like, especially when you're dealing with long course triathlon. If you're dealing with, you know, a six or eight series, six or eight race series and it's Olympic distance, everybody can be there. Everybody can race hard. If you're dealing with Ironman, you know, how many Ironmans are you going to ask any one athlete to do in a given period of time before it becomes, you know, something that's a risk to their health and, and so I, I think I think we kind of like it's one day um, and, you know, first person across the line is the world champ. Makes sense. Makes sense. Speaking of championship races, a big debate that's been brought up for the professional athletes and as sport evolves and people change rules in all types of sports is the 20 meter draft rule. I know you guys have been hit on this a lot and I know the, the athletes have been very vocal with your head referee at Ironman. And he, and he now says that it's, it's up to world triathlon. It, it, at what point do the athletes, what, what do they need to do to, to press you guys? Or will you guys ever go to a, a 20 meter draft rule for, let's just say just a championship event or anything like that. Do, do you ever see that coming sometime in the future? Well, I, I think on the 20 meter draft zone, the details really matter. And, and while I think there's a lot of people, including many of our professional athletes who say, you know, who nod their heads and say, you know, I, I, I want a 20 meter draft zone, you know, more is better. Um, the, the details are tricky, you know, it's 20 meters. Okay. So how much time do you have? between in a 20 meter environment between when you start the pass and finish the pass how do you think about athletes slotting in how do you you know does does the pro you know do pros go to 20 and age groupers start at 12 if so how do you deal with that on races that have multiple loops like frankfurt or lake placid you know we've always had the same rules for pros and age groupers are we going to make an exception how do you make it work? How do you teach, you know, how do you teach the officials to be able to say, these guys can be 12, these guys can be 20, even though they're on the same, you know, the same part of the road. Um, and so I, I don't want to say like we're dead set against it, uh, but to, to, to just say like we want 20 meters is like only the very, very, very first part of what is a much more complicated set of discussions um, that aren't as straightforward or as easy as you might think. And so, you know, Jimmy and his team look at it and they talk to pros about it. And, and I think their belief, if you were to have Jimmy on this call and you guys may want to think about having Jimmy on this call at some point, 
he would say no evidence whatsoever that 12 or 20 influences who wins a race. And in that, you know, the guys, you know, the Joe Skippers, the Lionel Sanders of the world, you know, are, are, are guys who are going to be super strong on the bike and they're going to ride through the field. And, you know, you, you can argue about, you know, at the difference in wattage, you know, crosswind or no crosswind or headwind or tailwind scenario, like how many extra watts advantage you get. But I, I, I haven't seen evidence to suggest that it's a difference maker in terms of who's going to end up winning a race. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess, uh, I guess as we've seen the sport evolve, you, I think everyone can, can agree that we've seen massive bigger groups now staying together and being able to stay together in groups. And so I think that that's where a majority of the, the athletes push, push for if, if the athletes push hard for yeah. it and you got a majority of them, do you think that you yeah. guys would revisit it and look but, at it for but, the but so, look? But, but so of course, that's that's the short answer. If if there was overwhelming support for it, but I think part of what we would need to be clear on is you got to think this through. So, you know, historically, there's 20 people at the front on the men's race at Kona when you get to Kauai High. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's 30, but there's a big a big group of guys who are generally racing clean and and. If, if suddenly you go to 20 meters with those guys, like the size of that packet is now almost double. And so if someone wants to pass, you know, how much, how much more terrain do they need to cover to be able to make that pass? Mm-hmm. How, how, you know, at what point are they able to legally slot in? Do they have to go all the way to the front? And, and when you start saying to the athletes, here's the implications of how it would affect you on this race, instead of, that front group being 400 meters long, it's now 700. And if you start a pass, you may have to, you may have to drop whatever the extra 30, 40, 50 Watts for Mm -hmm. twice as long or close to twice as long. Yeah. Or run the risk of getting a penalty because, because you're dropping in. And then all of a sudden you have a different conversation with the pros about the extent to which it changes the race. And I, I don't want to say that they would say yes or they would say no, but it, 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 I think our team has been thinking at that level of detail about how would it really alter the way people race? And, and is there a benefit for it? Um, because you could see how, despite the best intentions, it, it could have a, a different kind of impact. And, and I think before we want to, you know, jump down that path, I, I think we really feel like we need to think it through in a lot of detail. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And speaking of that, it looks like that you guys, not looks like, I mean, you guys have definitely increased the output of media and coverage uh, yeah. the last, I would say, two years. You guys have, I mean, from 70.3s to world championship events with phenomenal coverage, with with putting extra people out there and cost and motos comes with incredible positives with more media coverage and all that. And it also comes with uh, a little bit of negatives on on sometimes 
uneducated moto drivers or things like that. What what do you guys do to ensure a fair race or that every moto driver is properly educated going into a race so an athlete won't receive an assistance or do, do you guys do anything at all? So, so we do a lot, but, but uh, I think it's fair to say this la- in the last 12 months um, we have had a few situations that have caused us to rethink some of the way we control and manage the motos at the front of the race. And, and, and in particular, the situation with Sam where he was penalized and we weren't able to tell him that he was penalized for, I think it was 90 seconds. It might've been more. Mm-hmm. And, and S- Sam long, that is to everyone listening. Yeah. And, and, and there's, there's no doubt in our mind that it was, that the penalty was a legitimate one. However, we, the, the, the issue was the official on the moto was being overly def- deferential to the camera crews who were shooting. And, and so the official like waited around until, you know, the camera crews were no longer focused on Sam to tell Sam he'd been penalized. And I think all of us who were a part of those decisions and, and I was a part of those decisions, you know, you know, on race day realized we, we need to do a better job of linking when someone's notified, when, when we see the penalty and when they're notified, because um, like that created, like, it, I mean, it created a, a bunch of bad feelings, a bunch of people misinterpreted that, that Sam was getting penalized when he, he had in fact been penalized before it was, you could argue it wasn't fair to Sam and that ultimately, you know, in, in, in any sport, you know, you, you want to link as quickly as possible. If, if there's an infraction, you want to notify people that, that there's an infraction. Um, and we, and that, that's when we didn't get right. And, and we're trying to, as we think about going forward, you know, how do you not have the race officials like drive right in front of the a filming camera on a live feed? Um, but I think in retrospect, it's probably better to do that than to sit back and wait, you know, 90 seconds or two minutes or potentially more to, to let somebody know that they've been, that they've been penalized. So, so that's one that we've, you know, that we're, you know, we're in the process of fixing. Uh, and then, and then I'm sure, and you, you've answered this previously that I think people have asked you about race ranger and you just said, when they're ready to bring us a product, we'd be more than happy to look at it. Or do you still stand that same, same way? Yeah. Look, um, I know they haven't, they haven't finished their development yet. Yeah, I, I think Race Ranger is going to be demoing stuff at Ironman New Zealand in you know whatever three weeks, um, and 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 we're eager to like we're eager to see what the experiment looks like, um, and you know it's easy to say you know the text can be really complicated and here's all the ways in which it might not be accurate and it could lead people to the wrong conclusion and all that stuff, but but sometimes you just need to put it out there and you need to try it and you need to see what. It, how people are going to react to it. And, and so if there's a way that, uh, that it can make sense, then, you know, we're happy to, you know, we're happy to look at it. Awesome. I want to go, uh, I want to test you a little bit and see if you can think of a world where the PTO and Ironman 
partner together on a race. And the, the, the one that I think of in my mind is I think of a race that might be struggling on the Ironman side from a participant standpoint, mm-hmm. say like a Waco or an Ironman Alaska and PTO comes in and says, Hey, we'd like to support this event on the pro side and you guys mm-hmm. run the amateur side. And we're going to, we want to do this, uh, this event mm-hmm. side by side, because I think it's, I, I was at PTO Dallas race mm-hmm they need an events team for the, the age group to really, you know, to support it heavily. And that's, that's important to them. And that's not their, you know, as of right now, that's not their core business. Your guys' core business are events for a large population. Do you see a world where you guys could work together and, and break bread over an event like that? Well, uh, well, look, I mean, we're, we're talking to the PTO right now about whether it makes sense to to collaborate on on like straightforward stuff like anti-doping. Um, where where I think everyone has a common interest in having a single consolidated anti-doping approach and you're not testing on top of each other and that, you know, there's only one RTP and that, you know, like all the out-of-comp test is, testing is coordinated. Um, so, you know, we've, we've been talking to them recently about that. I, I think that, and, and this goes back to like, I don't think we have total clarity on what they're trying to do. Um, but you know, if, when they're out there organizing events and, and, and that's their business model, then, then they're a competitor of ours and, and they're competing for sponsors. They're competing for athletes. They're competing for exposure for, from media. And, and I think we always want to be a good citizen within the sport, but we have to recognize that, you know, competitors are competitors. The, the and, and it, but you know, is there a scenario in which you know they could be involved in the pro side of the business and we'd be involved in the age group side of the business? You know, I guess. Um, but you know, there's a ton to be sifted through. You know, who, like whose partners? You know, do you use? And you know, and this is all stuff that every sporting event you know, grapples with is, okay, you know, we've got Hoka, they've got New Balance, you know, who, who's going to be, get exposure at the race? Who's going to be on the broadcast? Who's responsible for distributing the the feed? Is, is that something that we do? Is that something they do? You know, it's, you know, they, they seem like mundane little details, but those mundane little details are, are in fact, pretty fundamental to the business model that certainly we have and that I, I mean, they have a business model, I'm sure. Um, But, you know, how that would all work is, you know, there's a lot to get through putting aside the fact that they're competing with us. And when talking about rules, I mean, this, this leads me into my next topic. What is the biggest debate in aerodynamics and triathlon? It's it's shave legs, shaved arms. Specialized Triathlon did a video a long time ago on YouTube. You can look it up. And this is a perfect opportunity to talk to you guys today about Manscaped, today's sponsor of the show. If you haven't heard of Manscaped, they make the best 
freaking trimmer on earth. A lot of people think it's a beard trimmer, but actually you can use it for a lot more. It's the Lawnmower 4.0. The Lawnmower 4.0 is so much better than every other trimmer because you use it for your man jewels. If you've never used one of those before, you definitely need to start grooming now. If you want to avoid chafing, if you want to avoid... I don't even want to go there. Use it. You can shave your crack. You can shave your man jewels. Keep yourself nice, clean, and trimmed. But not only that, going into race day, you can whip out the Lawnmower 4.0. Go ahead and just get them legs shaved on up. Save them extra watts. Shave your arms. Men or women can use this. That's the most amazing part about it. But you know when you get out some of those shavers and you nick yourself? Impossible with the Lawnmower 4.0. You can buy it today online, Manscaped. Don't forget to use our promo code, ProTryNews20. You heard it here first. Back to the podcast. Well, and we have some random questions for you now that we'll fire off before we before we wrap up here. Every uh, CEO has a uh, right-hand man or a right-hand woman, and I know that uh, you guys have Diana Birch, which uh, I think a lot of us in the event industry, we know that she is the boss and she is in charge. And when she tells you to jump, you say how high. <laughs> She's someone that I fear and I'm like, I better be on my best behavior in front of Diana. How, how, how crucial is she to you and, and, and Iron Man, the brand itself? Look, I, I think Diana is one of the most gifted executives in our industry. I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a better race director than, than Diana anywhere in the world. Um, and I mean, she, she cares, right? She turns herself inside out. Her work rate is outstanding. She's got a great intuitive sense of what really matters to our athletes. She delivers great, um, you know, she, she manages her team super effectively. She really is outstanding. Um, and like a lot of people who are outstanding, she has very, very high standards for herself and others. And, um, you know, disappoint at your peril. Uh, and, and I can, I, I can tell you personally that, uh, like I felt it too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Um, Andrew, if you could wave your magic wand, what would you do to improve the sport? Um, you, know, I look. I'm I'm like a lot of age groupers. You know, m my life was transformed by doing Ironman, and 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 it, you know, my Ironman journey, you know, twenty, you know, which started twenty years ago, um, really fundamentally made me a different and better person, and and an awful lot of what we do is trying to spread the gospel and expand Ironman into new parts of the world and to find new ways to get people into our sport. And, and a lot of what we've tried to do over the years through the Women for Try initiative to bring more women into the sport, like we invented the rolling start because the swims, you know, the swim at, at an Ironman race or at a triathlon in general is, is the single biggest limiter to people wanting to do a triathlon is they're freaked out about the swim. So we've done a ton to be able to try to de-stress the swim and make it easier and safer and, and less stress-inducing for our athletes. If I could wave my wand, my magic wand, I just want to be able to expose the sport to more people, bring more people in, give more people a chance to enjoy the benefits of 
you know, as an adult taking on like a big, gnarly, scary challenge and having to work really hard for an extended period of time, in, in, in some cases, years towards this really ambitious goal and then achieve it. And like, that's what Iron Man is for so many people. And, you know, I, I think that fundamentally my job more than anything is, is how do we continue to find ways to bring people into our sport? Because I think once they experience it, um, so many people get hooked. Awesome. I agree. Um, race coverage. Are we going to see outside or outside? Yeah. Outside TV continue to provide the coverage or is that an opportunity for you guys to do almost what world triathlon does with draft league goal events is, Hey, it's $30 for a year. You can watch all the stuff on triathlon live. Um, you know, we've, we've had different approaches over the years. Um, you know, we're super psyched about outside. They're a great partner. Um, and you know, but we've also, you know, taken a different approach on the Ironman side where we're putting our content out on Facebook. We're putting it out on YouTube. Um, you know, our, you know, the races are, you know, they were live last year on Peacock. They were live on the keep TV in France. They were live on ARD in Germany. And, and we think that we've got opportunities to continue to be able to like be as thoughtful and smart as we can about how do you distribute the content and put it out there where people who care about the sport can, can see it. Um, and, and we think outside's a great partner. Um, and, you know, and, and we're going to continue to, to do everything we can to make our content available to people who want to watch it and can watch it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it this year. At Ironman world championship to be able to select the different camera angles, things like that. I thought that was amazing wildly successful yeah and and you know part of what's kind of cool is that there's been just a lot of technology that has made the ability to broadcast easier and more versatile and less expensive and it's opened the doors to us being able to be a lot more innovative and and the overall media team you know that that julia polareno manages uh out of san diego you know i I think you know the, the work that she and her team have done is is really remarkable and i hope that we win a bunch of emmys um coming up that's the, great the, a, a lot of people don't know about that app uh i believe was it was it iron man live or iron man now the app on race day that you could click around on uh well it, it was one of but i i, I think yeah. a lot of people were just watching on facebook yeah and they didn't know that you could change camera angles and see different cameras is that something that you guys will continue for your championship level well, events or will that just be in kona and nice so so we we tested that you know having that app that enabled you if you go in and you register you can you know you can play around and choose your feed and i i expect that we will be expanding that offering you know, and and I think we want to make sure we get it right first and foremost. Um, and but but again, it's it's pretty cool that it enables you to be able to if there's particular athletes that you like, you can uh, or if you just want to see what's happening at the front of the race, you know, you've got more choices. Cool. I got two future questions for you. One, what's one location where you want to put a race? Like if you could make a decision right now and say, I want to put a race in. X country. Oh man. Um, 
you know, we've got races in so many places. Um, you know, I, I think if you look at the biggest countries where we don't really have that much, um, Japan has been really hard. It's, it's Japan's a really challenging market to organize races. And you know, there's this incredible history of long distance triathlon in Japan, you know, Strongman and Astro Man and you know, the old Iron Man Japan, like back from the 80s. And and yet we don't have a full distance race there. Yeah. Um, we don't have a full distance race in China. We don't have a full distance race in India. Um, and and so there's a bunch of parts of the world where we think eventually there's going to be huge opportunity for us. And, you know, we've when we started putting races back into China in 2015, we saw this huge explosion of Chinese athletes racing with us all over the world. Um, when we put our first 70.3 into Goa, uh, we saw, I think, a quadrupling of the number of Indian athletes that were racing with us worldwide. And, and so I think there's a lot of places where there's an opportunity to be able to continue to expand the brand and to give people an opportunity to race with us. Um, and so we're going to continue to be pretty, pretty ambitious in that area. Yeah. Um, and then I've currently been reading shoe dog. So I'm like obsessed with Japan right now, this story of Phil Knight and starting Nike. So, uh, I would be excited to do that. Um, the other future question, you guys have gotten some big sponsors over the years. I remember vividly in, I believe it was 2017 in Chattanooga when, there was buzz going around that you guys were going to get Amazon, I believe for the world for 70.3 world championship. Um, you've got some massive sponsors. What's one person that you haven't got yet that you would love to get on board in the future? Well, you know, we don't, if you, if you think about the folks, the categories that where we don't have partners, we don't have a global banking partner. Are you like Iron Man and don't currently have a banking partner? Bank with a company that is backing our kind of people, triathletes. Look no further than Waterfall Bank. Visit waterfallbank.com today and start banking with a triathlon-friendly bank. Back to you, Andrew. Uh, and, you know, we don't have global insurance. Uh, we, you know, there's there's a number of categories that's, that I think with the right offering, and again, as we think about how do we structure a a series and put the right media behind it that provides the kind of platform that, you know, a bigger global company would, uh, would react to, you know, that that's kind of where we're focused and, you know, and, and that's really what I think you need to be able to have the truly big global brands want to be a partner with you is, you need to have a global footprint of races. You need to have really good, um, really good media and media distribution. And you need to have passionate athletes. Um, and so I, I think that we certainly have the races. We certainly have the passionate athletes. We're building out the broadcast infrastructure. Um, and I feel like we've got some momentum. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I have one last question. I know we're bumping up to the hour. Uh, what do you expect from the pros as CEO of Ironman? Well, I, I think that, you know, we've got an amazing opportunity to help one another. And, and that, 
you know, we've always provided, I think, a really, really good platform for professional athletes to be able to showcase themselves um, and, you know, to earn prize money and, and to provide exposure for their partners. And, and I think that the investments that we're making, particularly around content, are, are ones that really benefit the professional or professional athletes and that we're creating a, a higher visibility platform. We're providing more exposure. We're providing more eyeballs. We're providing more of all of that. And, and that, I think, should be a way in which we can continue to help each other. Um, and, and that I think the really ambitious professionals, the ones who really treat it like a business, um, are, are ones that can utilize you know, the tools that we have and the races that we have and the broadcast platform that we've built to be able to get the kind of exposure that's really going to help them. And, um, and the smart progressive ones are, uh, are doing it right now. And, and we're really happy about that because, you know, having, you know, you know, you know, the Lionel Sanders of the world and the on Ferdinos and, and company build their own brand, um, works because we're pretty confident that they're still going to do our races and that it's hard for them to be you know prominent within our ecosystem without them doing our races so there's going to be an opportunity for us to help each other fantastic awesome well i just want to thank you for coming on the show andrew uh it's been it's been a pleasure having you hopefully we can have you on as a guest maybe later on in the season to do a checkup as uh the sport begins to evolve no look i, I appreciate that talbot and and, um, you know, I, I think there's an awful lot of good stuff going on in our sport right now. And there's a lot of innovation um, and a lot of change. And I think that's uh, that's always exciting and good for people who are prepared to innovate and prepared to change. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pro Try News. We have a full slate of episodes coming up this month. Next week, we'll have Chris Gimmel, the head of marketing for World Triathlon. And then we'll be sitting down with the PTO rankings committee going over the new criteria for the 2023 season. Lastly, we'll finish off the month with the CEO of the PTO, Sam Renouf, to discuss PTO tour events and all the great things to come. See you guys soon.